Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we talk about the principle of kindness. We discuss kindness in the 12 steps, the psycho-spiritual empowerment that kindness can bring, and the political utility of being nice to each other. Welcome back to fucking canceled. Welcome back to fucking canceled. So here we are in Ottawa. Yes, we are here in Ottawa celebrating the Christmas season. Hanging out at my mom's house. Yep. Yep. And today we are going to talk to you about kindness. Here at Fucking Cancelled, <laughs> we're proponents of kindness. Yeah. And this is another one of the episodes where we wanted to kind of do a deep dive into some of our principles. I don't actually remember if kindness was a principle that we put forth on the first episode. If it wasn't, it should be. Yeah. It's definitely something that we believe in. Mm-hmm. And we don't think that it gets enough play. <laughs> you know? True. So... Why don't you tell me, you know, because I know when we were talking about this episode and what we were going to say, we were talking about 12 steps. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what your experience was coming into 12-step programs with relationship to kindness? Yeah, I mean, I think that I had an experience that, you know, was shared by a lot of people coming in, which was that people were incredibly kind to me um, right off the bat in a way that was almost shocking because I was so unused to it. Um, and I think, you know, most people have some people in their lives who are kind to them. Um, but it's unusual to have a bunch of strangers be really like selflessly, um, generous and like open to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're just saying nice things to you and giving you their phone number with no expectation of anything in return whatsoever. Um, and with no sort of like strings attached, you know, um, and that was an eye opening experience for me. And it definitely was like a big part of the allure of 12 steps for me. Cause I was just like, wow, I want more of this. Um, and I don't know. I also think in general, when I meet people who are like really kind, um, sort of like unselfconsciously kind, mm. it. I, I feel like they are very, like, well people. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because it, it honestly takes, it kind of takes a lot of work to be really kind. Like, you need to be pretty, like, good in yourself, you know? And so meeting people who are acting that way is, for me, it was, like, a big, like, green flag. Because mm. um, I was, like, these people who are telling me these stories of, you know, very insane shit that they've done in their lives seem to be doing really well, you Mm -hmm. know, to the point where they have the sort of, like, energy and capacity to be really open and kind. Um, And I really liked that. Mm -hmm. It made me want what they had. Yeah, for me, it was absolutely shocking. And I think it's shocking on, like, two levels. One, there's, like, for people who come into 12-step programs, not always, but very often... They're sketchy people, you know? And so these are the people in society who get treated with the least amount of kindness, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, the sketchier Often, yeah. the sketchier you are, 
the least amount of kindness you receive in your day-to-day life. Pretty much. And so when I came in, I was uh, very sketchy. And so I was used to people being particularly unkind to me, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I was used to being treated quite badly by people. So it was shocking on that level because... It was just so weird to be approached with such generosity and kindness and welcoming um, from complete strangers. Also, I think on another level, even for people who aren't sketchy or who don't have the experience of people being particularly unkind, you know, in a day-to-day way, it's still unusual to experience that level of kindness from people, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, when I – now that I'm, like, used to 12 Steps and I've been in it for years and years – One of the things that I often find myself saying to newcomers is, like, it's almost like a cultural literacy thing of, Mm -hmm. like, explaining to them a different culture that they're not used to. Mm -hmm. Because I'll be like, look, like, you can walk up to anyone and start talking to them. It's not weird. Mm -hmm. You know? You can ask people that you don't really know, like, what they're doing after the meeting. It's not weird. Mm -hmm. You can ask them for their phone number. It's not weird, you know? And, I and you think, can call them. Yeah, you can call them on the phone to talk about your feelings and how you're doing. And you can expect a certain level of warmth from them. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think in many people's worlds, you know, there's this fucking annoying thing about being cool mm. or being popular, mm. you know? And that, like, we think that we have to be a certain way. You know, and I think what that way is depends on, like, which sort of subculture or scene or, like, culture you're in, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, you have to basically earn people's kindness. And, like, to get warmth and attention and inclusion from people, you have to be a certain way, you know? And so it's, like, the popular people who get welcomed. And if you're not popular, then you're not welcomed. Whereas, you know, in 12 Steps, at least, you know, as it should be in 12 Steps, is, like, Everyone is welcomed and included, you know, and everyone is like invited out for the meeting after the meeting. Yeah. Um, and that was something I was really not used to. Yeah, totally. I think like a big component of modern Western culture, especially like youth culture, um, is being fucking mean and being really ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, and snobby. And snobby and sort of like, Yeah, like, setting yourself apart from people um, and casting a lot of judgment on people. Um, And it's exhausting. It's really fucking exhausting. And I don't think it serves us very well. Um, That being said, you know, I don't think that anyone is kind all the time. No. And, you know, by saying that we think that this is important, you know, it's not to say that we think that, like, we're always kind all the time or that it's even possible to be, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's something to aspire to and it's something to think about. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a principle. It's a principle, yeah. And I think that, like, when you're sort of, like, wondering what you should do in a given situation, it's, like, worth, like, um, thinking about whether you're being kind mm-hmm. <laughs> and whether maybe you should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you already made the connection that to you kindness is a green flag for somebody being in a good place, Mm -hmm. you know, being relatively well, you said. Um, And you're also talking about how, like, yeah, it's basically impossible to be kind all the time and, like, you know, we all have our bad days or times where it's, like, harder. And it's, like, what is the connection there between, like, what makes it easier for people to be kind? And I think that there's kind of, like, this feedback loop 
because I think people, it is easier for people to be kind when they feel safe. Mm. It is easier for people to be kind when they feel safe and secure in themselves, right? Because right. to extend kindness, you know, is kind of vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Because you might be shot down. Like right. you might extend kindness and you might be treated with unkindness in return, right? right? So I think it takes a certain level of security within yourself to offer that knowing that you might be shot you might be shot down, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but it's like a feedback loop because the thing that creates, you know, safety in people is kindness. Mm. Right? So like, it doesn't always work. Right. Of course. <laughs> you know, I'm sure with you um, having done um, outreach work with homeless and street-involved people, I'm sure you've experienced many times where you've extended kindness and been treated with some <laughs> some anger and scorn. Yes. Um, but it's interesting, right? And, like, having been street-involved myself... I've been that person who, like, someone's trying to give me a bottle of water and I'm, like, screaming at them, right? Yeah. Because my baseline was so much un- unsafe, like, feelings all the time that, like, it was difficult for me to trust and to accept kindness. And, sure. and I would often, like, lash out, right? Right. Um, but for people who have enough grounding in themselves that they are able to extend kindness even to people like that, um, I think that that's how we start to shift things, right? Yeah, and I think that, you know, one instance of kindness isn't enough to shift anything. Exactly, But yeah. it's, like, over time, and, and it's contextual, too. It's, like, when you find yourself in a context where kindness is much more normal. Exactly. Um, and can be expected from people. Yeah. That's when you start being able to be kind in return, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what really shifted for me when I came into the 12 steps, because it wasn't just, like, you know, some random, I don't know, Christian volunteer person who was like giving me a cheese sandwich or a bottle of water right. here and there, you know, in my otherwise insane and chaotic life. Mm-hmm. But it was like a consistent everyday thing where I went to this place and I was treated with consistent, reliable kindness. And that is what started to really shift things for me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think um, kindness, like often on this podcast, we've talked about, you know, human beings as social animals, right? And the fact that, like, we evolved as social animals who are supposed to be in groups and who are supposed to have social relationships, right? Mm. And so kindness, it works to, like, cement social bonds and to make people actually feel safe being together, right? Right. And I think it's, like, such a fundamental human need. Like, we, when we are in a group, whether or not we are treated with kindness completely sets the stage for, like, how our nervous system is going to feel and how we're going to react, whether we are, like, on alert in a fight-flight nervous system response or whether we feel safe and included, right? Yeah. And so maybe it might help to kind of unpack a little bit, like, what do we mean by kindness? Like, what are the components of kindness? Hmm. What is it? Yeah, I guess that's kind of a big question, eh? Um, I think on, like... I think on a really basic level, kindness is about, like, treating people the way that you would like to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's sort of, like, indicating to them that their needs are, their needs and desires are sort of, like, as important as your own. Mm-hmm. And that you're willing in some way to sort of, like, put your own, like, a little bit on the back burner to, like, look after theirs. Mm-hmm. That's, like, one way of thinking about it, I think. Totally. I also think that it has to do with the concepts of, like, welcoming and including Mm. a sense of like open door where you're like, Hey, um, I want you to feel included. Like I want you to feel, 
um, a part of. Right. Because I think being shunned and pushed out is, like, one of the most painful things for humans. Mm, yeah. <laughs> As social animals, you know? Like, we want to feel like we belong. It is such a fundamental human need. For sure. And so when people are, like, kind of, like, slighting or catty or, like, judgy, you know, or mean, it gives this message of, like, you don't belong. You're not a part of the in-group. Right. Um, and I think kindness is the opposite, where it's, like, you're being, like, I'm giving you cues to show that you're welcome. Right. You know, that you belong here. Right. Um, which I think is such a fundamental human need. And then I think the other piece that is kind of connected to what you said and also to this is that it's basically like, I see you. Mm. Kindness is to say, I see you and I see that you're a person. Um, like, I see that you are a person with your own inner world, you know, and you want to be acknowledged as such, which we all want to be acknowledged as such. Right. And right. I think that this is so fundamental. Um, and that your, like, happiness matters. Yeah. And your feeling of safety matters. Right. And, like, what you're, what you're going through right now matters. Right. I think it's also about being willing to enter into a relationship with someone of some sort, like, um, like a relationship of reciprocity, like the kind of sort of, like, baseline communism that David right. Graeber talks yes. about. Um, where it's sort of like humans, like when we're, when we're well, when we're good, when we're safe, like we almost automatically have this sort of like baseline communism where we, um, tend to share things. We're like, don't worry about getting me back, but we're kind of like all like keeping track on some level of who sort of like owes what to who. And we're all sort of like, we're going to, we're going to, um, I'm going to get you back at some point in the, in the future, you know, yeah, like generosity, generosity and trust, like extending yeah. trust to people. Yeah. Um, and being basically like, you're in the pack with me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this connects a lot to the stuff that we've talked about on the podcast about the concept of dehumanization. Um, mm. I think that like when we dehumanize people, we withdraw kindness from them. Right. And extending kindness is a way of showing others that you see that they are a person. Um, and so this concept of, like, yeah, treating people how you'd like to be treated, you know, trying to make people feel welcome and included, and showing them that, like, their personhood matters. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that can play out in, like, many different ways. Like, it can obviously play out within, like, friendships, communities, and, like, extended ongoing relationships, but it can also play out in sort of chance encounters in your day-to-day life where, like, yeah, maybe you're not going to be having, like, a deep, consistent reciprocity with a person who you just sort of see on the street. But I think, you know, the concept of, like, cities and, like, big places where we run into people we don't really know, Mm -hmm. this diminishes our kindness. In general, we are less kind to people who we just generally, like, randomly see on the street than people maybe... Um, who we have more of that, like, consistent relationship with. And that, in part, is because it's easier to remember the humanity of people who we know. Yeah, and also because the the implication is overwhelming. Like, the implication of being <laughs> in a relationship of reciprocity to, like, 12 million people. Yeah, it's beyond our little human brains. We can't do it, you know? And, and, and you know, the possibility of getting burned is too high. Like, or, you know, like... Too many things could go wrong. There's too many people, you know? Yeah. You wouldn't be able to keep track of it all, like, et cetera. So I think that that is, like, that is, like, sort of one um, alienating consequence of living in, like, mass societies. And, like, sociologists have written about this. But 
at the same time, I think that, like, w- I think what you were getting at is that, like, that doesn't mean that you can't still be kind to, like, random exactly. people, you know? Um, and understand on some level that we are, like, moderns living in these mass societies and that, like, we're probably not going to be in a long-term relation- relationship of reciprocity with, like, a random person that we meet on the street. But we can still be in a sort of, like, acknowledgement of our common humanity. Exactly. Um, where we're, like, you know, maybe you're not going to get me back at some point, but somebody else is, and, like, it's fine. Exactly. And I think that there's... You can think of kindness, especially in in the context of, like, strangers. You can think of kindness as, like, a miniature capsule (laughs) of... goodwill and of uh-huh. everything that we're talking about like I this like this like this common humanity this like shared belonging you know like maybe you can't extend that full relationship with this person but by treating them with kindness you're giving them a little peace mm. you know and you're you're reminding them that like yes you are a person and I see that and like I really think, you know, and again, it completely depends on my my own fucking mental state in a given day, how much I'm able to extend that to random people, right? For sure. When I'm in a good mood and in a good place for myself, I'm fucking struggling carrying somebody's stroller down the stairs, yeah. you know, like making sure that I have change in my pocket yeah. to like give to any homeless person I see, totally, like holding buying, doors open for people. Buying somebody their Timmy's because they forgot their card. Yeah, like all of this. And, and honestly, okay, this is another thing I wanted to say is that kindness like when you do that right and you extend kindness to someone obviously in most cases it really does help them out and it lights up their day Mm -hmm. right obviously there's certain people who are having such a rough time that like one little capsule of kindness is not going to be enough to shift things for them but in general first of all it's cumulative the more that they experience kindness the better and also for a lot of people that little bit of kindness can really fucking make a difference you know um one little tangent that i'm going to go on before i make my point is one time you know like, I had, when I was poor, I had managed to save up to buy a fucking cell phone, and I unfortunately had it stolen the day that I got it, mm. and I was, like, fucking devastated, and not only that, but I had take basically, I left it in the bathroom, so I guess it, somebody did steal it, because they could have fucking returned it, and they just took it, right? Yeah. But I left it in the bathroom, and then I, like, got on the bus, and I, I realized that I didn't have it, and I went back. And then it was gone, obviously, and I tried all the things to, to like, go to the lost and found, and it was gone. And I, I was fucking devastated because I had spent a lot of money, and I was, like, crying. And I also didn't have any fucking bus fare now because oh, I had only had enough bus fare to get on the fucking bus that I had already, and I'd gotten off. So I was sitting on the ground fucking crying. And this person came up to me, and she was just like, hey, like, is everything okay? And I was like, I've lost my cell phone, and, like, somebody stole it, and, like, now I don't have any bus fare, and, like... And she just, like, sat with me, and she was like, that fucking sucks. I'm so sorry. And she gave me bus fare. And, like, that kind of thing, you know, it's such a small thing. But it obviously made such a huge fucking difference to me Mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. And you remember it years later. I remember it years later. It fucking really made a difference to me. Obviously, it sucked that I had, like, lost my phone. But, like, still, there was that kindness extended to me, that belonging, and also that, like, material help that, like, I needed to fucking get on the bus, you know? Yeah. Um, So that... Yeah, that was just a little tangent that I wanted to go on. But the other thing I wanted to say is that not only is kindness very good for the person that you're being kind to, but kindness is very good for you Mm. when you do it to other people, Mm. right? And, like, I'm sure you've been in situations like this where you, for some reason, randomly had the opportunity to help someone, you know? Yeah. And you're able to, and it really helps them, and you can see that they're grateful for that, and, like, you have some kind of nice interaction 
And it feels fucking good. Yeah, it feels amazing. It feels really good. And it's very regulating to the nervous system. It's very uplifting to your mood. Um, and it feels very positive. Yeah. So it's not just that like kindness is something that we give to others, but kindness is also something that we give to ourselves. It's excellent for your self-esteem. Yeah. yeah. And it makes you feel fucking good. Like I really think on an evolutionary kind of like biological level. We get rewarded for it. Like, we're social spe- a social species. Like we yeah. have a deep, deep in like inherent desire to connect to each other. Yeah. And so when we do that, it feels good. Like we get rewarded through neurochemicals in our brain. For sure. Okay. I have a pivot. Okay. Pivot. That I want to go on, which is like, okay, so it's kind of like the difference between kindness and politeness and something that we do a lot um, in Canada particularly. Mm. But I think that this is like a huge part of like emotional labor in the original sense of the term, as in like the labor that you do at work, like to sort of like make customers feel good or whatever is politeness, not kindness. Um, and you know, you say the right words and it goes smoothly. Um, and you simulate kindness to customers, right? You smile at them and you say thank you and whatever. But, What's actually going on there is that capitalism makes real kindness almost impossible for, like, huge parts of our day because we are trapped in interactions that are not reciprocal and can never be reciprocal. Mm -hmm. There are interactions, one, like, if you're in customer service of any sort, like, front-facing work, you're interacting with customers – you have to sell them things. They can't have the things. Right. Your, your job is to make sure that they can't have them. <laughs> right. They have to give you money for it. So it cannot be reciprocal. Um, and then at the same time, you're also sort of treated as a servant. Yeah. Um, Not and an emotional punching bag often. Often, yeah. And your job is to smile. Yeah. And just sort and of like... And put up with people being really rude. Yeah, exactly. So you're not experiencing kindness from like lots of people and they're not really experiencing kindness from you because you cannot be kind to them. You can be polite to them, you know? Obviously, there's ways in which you can be kind to someone, right? But like if you're like just making coffees for somebody or something like that, like you just say, what can I get you? Here you go. That'll be four ninety nine, like a million times a day, right? And there's nothing in that interaction that feels very kind or genuine for the most part. And then the other part, aspect of it is that the other sort of relation you're in at work is that you're an employee of a boss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the boss tells you what to do. And maybe the boss can do that in a polite way. But at the end of the day, the boss forces you to do things. And if you don't do them, you can't get paid. And if you can't get paid, you die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it's all based on sort of, like, taking our our inherent and, like, inbuilt desire for kindness and sort of, like, disguising it with politeness and, like, other forms of sort of, like, social nicety um, so that we can cope with the fact that, like, you know, eight hours a day we're all sort of, like, trapped in this, like, this dynamic of, like, extreme unkindness. It's, like, Mm -hmm. you know, some people who have everything are hoarding it and then selling it to people who need it. Yeah. Um, And that's the relationship, you know? It's this, like, completely alienated relationship. And, like, this fundamental piece of kindness that you're talking about, about, like, generosity and, like, also, yeah, seeing seeing someone. Like, part of seeing someone and recognizing their humanity is recognizing that they have fucking needs. Mm -hmm. And, like, denying someone their needs is very unkind. Yeah. It's cruel, in fact, Mm -hmm. you know? And capitalism is literally a system that is based on that, right? And so, obviously, navigating within capitalism means that we're constantly navigating in this dehumanization and this, like, cruelty and this, like, you know, denial of our basic humanity and our basic human needs. Yeah. 
That being said, though, I definitely think, you know, um, a way that kindness can peek through in those types of service job interactions is when, you know, especially customers, like when customers, actually, I can see it from both sides Mm -hmm. because there's been situations, you know, where as a customer, you know, you can tell that the the person at the cash is fucking stressed out yeah. and they're like doing their best. And when you are just fucking chill and nice about it and you're like, Oh, don't worry about it. Like take your time yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, you can tell that that really fucking is appreciated Totally. when you have that approach and you're not being like a nag and you're not being, you're definitely not being like a manager caller and you're just yeah. being like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Like take your time. Yeah. Extending that is sort of being like, I see you and I see that you're fucking working at this shitty job and yeah. you're like doing your best yeah. and I'm not expecting you to do this like giant performance for me. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side of that, you know, I think that there is, I mean, it's a little bit harder, I think for the, for people working to extend this because they are under the under the thumb of the boss. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like what they're actually able to extend in terms of kindness is like limited. Is limited due to the fact that like they answer to the boss. But it peaks through sometimes. Definitely. And it's like how many times, you know, has a cashier, for example, like looked the other way when they knew someone was shoplifting? Right. How many times has a cashier like been like it's fine, like, you know what I mean? And just sort of, like, let something go that, like, they probably shouldn't have or, like, technically they would get in trouble if their boss knew, but they do it anyway. Yeah. And that's, like, working-class solidarity. Totally. Like, Maria at the post office. Yeah, Maria at the post office. Yeah, but she's kind of... She's not a boss, but she's kind of in charge in a certain way. So yeah, I feel she, like has, she has more she power. She has a certain amount of, like, like seniority. Uh, autonomy. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, no, for sure. And I think that, like, as social animals um, and also as, like, sort of, like most of us have a sort of inherent, like, moral sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, our humanity constantly tries to smash through yes. these structures that we have built up around ourselves, yes. you know? And I think that we see this, like, all throughout history in, like, every society. There's, like, constantly people trying to put up these structures that, like, separate us into various classes and, and professions and castes and whatever. And then there's always people trying to smash through that in various ways because mm-hmm. they see each other's humanity, yeah. you know? And there's, like, all sorts of stories about that yeah. and, like, you know, like, major religions, like, based on this concept, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's, like, a very deep, deep, deep part of the human psyche um, to try to extend kindness to people um, and to, like, break down barriers between us that we put up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think especially... Um, in the West, there's like this this way of thinking about things where we are all very concerned with if we're successful or not. Right. And like we're like very like neurotically trying to like judge whether or not we are successful in our lives, not just in work, but like our personal lives. Like are we succeeding? Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think an interesting way to like reframe what it means to have a successful day is like how often were you able to be kind today? Mm. You know? Um, like, how often were you able to, like, do this thing of, like, extending that generosity and that, um, that like, I see you energy to other people in your day-to-day life? Right. You know? And they talk about that a little bit in the 12 Steps when they are talking about, you know, self-seeking will slip away. Mm. And it becomes more about what could I pack into the stream of life? Right. And so, you know, what what shifts when instead of being, like, oh, my God, can I, like, whatever, like, hustle and, like, 
get things done and, like, have the best of everything for me or, like, whatever it is that we're told to believe is, like, success. Like, what shifts when we start to actually be, like, wow, like, I actually slowed down and I actually... I should be proud of myself today because I held a door open for someone who was struggling and I, like, you know, stopped and chatted with, like, the person who, like, dropped all their stuff on the ground and, like, helped them pick them up and, like, wish them a happy day or yeah. whatever, you know? And, like, and then, like, how do you feel internally in your life and your satisfaction in your life when you start shifting that and acting in that way more often? Right. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then there's, like, the sort of pro level of being nice, which is, like, I don't know, I think, like, in... In 12 Steps, it would be, like, praying for people who are really pissing you off, for example. You think that's the pro level? I think that's the pro level. I mean, that's the standard level. As soon as you come in, they make you do that. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, for people in general. Right, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's easy to be kind to someone you like. It's, like, a little bit less easy to be kind to a stranger. And it's, like, very difficult to be kind to someone who you hate. Do you know the meta meditation? I don't think so. So, I think it's a Buddhist thing. Um, but basically it is also called loving kindness Mm. and what it is, is like when you meditate, you start off by picturing someone that you really, really love. Like Clover. Like Clover. Um, and you like picture their face and you like allow yourself in your body to like feel what it feels to love them, Mm. you know, and to like really have that warmth and that openness. And then, you know, you say like in your mind, you're, you say like, you know, I wish, I wish them health. Like, I wish them, like, happiness. I wish that they are safe, you know? And you wish them these, like, these blessings. And you really try to embody the feeling of it. Right. And then you extend it to someone in your life who you feel, like... Ambivalent. Totally neutral, maybe. Right. So, like, someone that maybe you see every day, but you don't pay that much attention to. Like, a guy who who drives your bus, right. you know? Or, like, someone who lives on your block who you right. don't really know, but you pass on the street, right. you know? And then you, like try to imagine like wishing that person like seeing that person and wishing that person the full extent of that generosity those well wishes that you were wishing to your loved one mm-hmm. and then you choose someone who you fucking do not like right you know yeah and who, who you have a hard fucking time with maybe a canceler um <laughs> for, for those listening you know um and you try to do the same thing you know mm-hmm. and yeah i Sounds like toxic spiritual bypassing to me. No. It is <laughs> truly beautiful. And one of my earliest spiritual experiences when I was in 12 Steps in my first year was I used to go to this park every night and say my prayers outside in the park. And I was praying for my abusive ex-partner and wishing him everything that I would wish for myself, you know, which wasn't easy for me to do. But no. my sponsor really drill that into me that that's what I needed to work towards. And so I was working towards it and I would go to this park and I would pray and I really did. I prayed for him to have everything that I would wish for for myself. Mm -hmm. Like, not just the bare minimums, but like everything that I would want for myself or for someone that I really love. And I prayed for that and when I opened my eyes there was a baby raccoon sitting right in front of me. So that's my higher power. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, trying to practice that level of compassion and kindness even to people that we don't like um 
is really tricky, especially in cancel culture where we're encouraged to just like fully fucking dehumanize people that we don't like. Yeah. And I think this is an important point for me to say this because people always get so confused when we say these things. And I'm like, wow, people's literacy around boundaries is so poor. Right. But people just immediately assume that this means that you can't have no boundaries. Right. And people just assume that this means that like, you know, because I would wish this, you know, because I would wish well for my ex-partner, that means I just have to, like, let him in my life to whatever extent he wants to be. Or, yeah, or accept the things that he's done. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, that's not what it means, you yeah. know? You can hold firm in your boundaries. You can decide who you want to be in a relationship with and to what extent, you know? And you can still wish people well. And you can, you can really, um, you know, know that certain actions are really wrong and that you ethically abhor those actions Mm -hmm. while still understanding that the person who carried them out is still a full complex human being. Um, so I feel like I kind of want to segue a little bit. I just definitely want to talk about this in this episode, but I feel like this might be a good place for it. Okay. So I recently, um, came back from Costa Rica where I did ayahuasca ceremony, Mm -hmm. um, and had really profound spiritual experiences that I, I'm probably going to write about it at some point, but I'm not exactly sure how. <laughs> but the biggest thing that came through for me in my ceremony that was, like, extremely fucking profound. And it's, like, one thing to say these things, and it's another thing to, like, really fucking feel them, you know? Yeah. But in the ceremony, I really, really fucking felt it. And the way, the only way I could describe it is the sentence, everyone is a me. Mm-hmm. And I really fucking viscerally saw the way that each soul, and it wasn't even just humans, I also saw this with animals, um, the way that each soul is like a completely irreplaceable, unique, and precious being. And also importantly, the way in which each soul has to bet on their own life because it is the only one they have. Mm. So they have to try for their life. Like they have to try to do whatever they can, you know, because it's them. Yes, I am tearing up. <laughs> oh, just crying right now. <laughs> because it's them. It's them. It's the it's it's me. You know? It's the only one there is. Yeah. And like the enormity of that to really see and to understand that each life is literally a life and is so fucking important and so fucking irreplaceable and there will never be like this life will never exist again you know Mm. um to really know that and to understand that and also a lot of what came through about that is that people so desperately want to be seen in their meanness, you know, people want others to know that this life is so precious and right. so irreplaceable and it is so important to them because it's their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the only one that they have. Yeah. And so people will do all sorts of things in a huge way. This is like the wisdom that the ayahuasca gave me a huge way that people get fucking confused in life and make all sorts of horrible decisions is because they're trying so fucking hard to be seen. Mm. They want to be seen. They want people to see them, but they don't know how. And they think they have to do all sorts of weird schemes 
Right. To be seen. Right. So they start thinking, oh, I need to be the most, the best looking or have the most money or like I need to do some kind of thing that is going to be the thing that's going to make people see me and love me. Right. You know? And very often the things that we do when we're doing that have the opposite effect of what we want. Mm. And we end up pushing people away. Mm. We end up not showing our true selves to people. Like stepping on people. Stepping on other people, not seeing them, Mm -hmm. which makes them not see us. Mm -hmm. And also hiding who we really are because Mm -hmm. we are, we don't think that people can really see us, you know? Right. Um... So that was really profound for me. But I think that, like, in a really basic way, kindness is that practice. Mm. The practice of saying, I know that you're a me. And you're fine as you are. And you are you. Like, not just fine, but, like, actually, like, the only one there is. Right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely precious. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure I'll talk more in future episodes, and I'll probably write about it. And there's a lot to say about that, but I wanted to inject some of my spiritual experience into this episode. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's like a huge amount of power in being able to like see people as you put it and, and being able to extend kindness to them. Um, especially I think when we have other instincts or impulses telling us to do the opposite, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, for one, like, as you were saying, you know, like, if you if you put on a mask so that people will see you, they only see the mask. Exactly. You, you know? And so being able to, like, not do that, you know, increases the chances that people will see you for who you are. Um, and being, being kind enough and genuine enough to the people around us that they don't feel like they have to put on a mask um, means that you will be surrounded by people who are also, you know able to be themselves you know and i think that that's like all that anybody really wants like deep down um and to sort of like bring it back a little bit to what we were just saying before um i think that like being able to for example like pray for people who you really dislike or you know if you don't like the word praying sort of like wishing them well Mm -hmm. um and trying to extend kindness to them um I think that that is a deeply empowering experience as well, which is something that people misunderstand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were saying, like, people really suck with the idea of boundaries. I think people also just, like, really struggle with the idea that you can wish well for someone and and also still dislike them. You know what I mean? Like, I think that maybe, like, the the ideal end goal would be to sort of, like, be able to, you know, be so, like, zen or whatever that you don't really dislike anyone. But, like, we're humans. Like, we, we're always going to have likes and dislikes, you know? Unless you're just spending, like, 50 years meditating on a mountain or something. Um, But the goal is to be able to um, extend kindness to them. And, like, it really really does empower you. Like, it allows you to sort of, like, cast off the shackles of your... um, of your feelings towards them, you know, like it gives you power over your feelings about mm-hmm. someone else, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and stops letting them set how you feel exactly in a certain it's way, freeing. you know, it's freeing. And that, that freedom, that empowerment is something that like one individual is able to do by themselves, mm-hmm. no matter where they are, no matter who they are, you know, yeah. obviously it takes work. It's not like something that you can just like do overnight. Um, but it is 
important and empowering to find these ways that you can like take back control over certain parts of yourself, you know, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, like all we really have is ourselves, you know, yeah. and we have each other too, but like that can be fleeting and complicated, you know, but like we always have ourselves until we die, you know, and we, we like finding ways to have more sort of like, um, ability to, like regulate ourselves and and set our own reactions and our own feelings about things is a really important and empowering thing, especially when many things about the world, for better or for worse, usually for worse, are not easily changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be very, 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 very difficult or impossible to change things about the world that like are very hard. You know, mm-hmm. that hurt us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we are able to sort of like work on how we feel about it. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's, that's like a really important thing about the spiritual practice of kindness Mm -hmm. that is really lost, um, on a lot of people. And, and especially like in the nexus is absolutely completely invisible, um, or erased, you know? Yeah. In fact, it's like actively sort of like frowned upon. Yeah. I also think a piece of this too, like another piece for why extending kindness to people who we might not like is important for us is because there's a way in which, not always, but very often, if you get down to the heart of why you don't like someone, very often it's because you feel that you weren't seen. Mm. You know? Whether that's because, whether it's like a driver who cut you off, Mm. well, why are you mad? Because they didn't see you. Right. Like, maybe quite literally in this case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, like, they they treated you in a way that was inconsiderate, inconsiderate of your of your experience, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, very often in our lives, we hold resentment against people who for some reason or another, the way that they treated us communicated to us that we don't matter. Right. And so we feel very angry and hurt about that because we want to matter. Yeah. And of course we should matter. Mm-hmm. So very often we respond to that by internally being like, well, they don't matter. Right. Fuck them. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's, it's like an unconscious way of trying to even the scales. You mm-hmm. slight me, I slight you. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, I think that there's this way in which we communicate to ourselves that we reinforce the idea that to matter is something that is contingent. Mm. You know? That to matter is something that isn't just a given. Right. 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 It's something that other people can... Give to us give or, take. or take away. Right. And that we can also give or take away you know, from to someone else. Right. And when we actually see the truth that, like, our inherent beingness, if you will. I will. Um, the sacredness of what it means to be a being is not something that actually can be taken away. Right. And, you know, when people are cruel, what they are doing is wrong. And it doesn't actually take away from a person's worthiness. It is just a violation of that worthiness. Right. It is a betrayal of what it means to be human, you know? Right. But it doesn't actually say anything about the person who is experiencing the cruelty. Mm. It says something about the person who's doing the cruelty, which is that there's something very wrong going on here. They're not well. Yeah. You know, that that they could cut off the recognition of the fact that, who they're seeing in front of them is a fucking living soul. Yeah. Um, and so I think when we hold on to that, and it's tricky, you know, but when we can hold on to that inherent worthiness inside of ourselves, it becomes a lot easier not to take it personally. 
Mm. You know, and to not take it as a judgment on who we are. Yeah. But actually as a reflection on where that person is. Yeah. It's information about other people. And that is something, you know, that then you can start to have compassion for Mm. because you don't take it as a judgment and a condemnation because you're not actually insecure in that anymore. Right. And I think that that for a lot of people, we're nowhere near there. You know, it takes a lot to get there. And I think it is a lot of spiritual experiences where you start to see that, Mm. at least for me. Mm. Um, But it is something that I think we can start moving towards in small ways. Totally. And I think that extending that kindness to others makes it easier for us to see, like we see the worthiness of all others. It's easier to remember the worthiness in ourselves. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about kindness on a sort of like psycho spiritual level. How do you think it plays into things on a political level? Mm, Very juicy. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think that fundamentally, you know, for, for us at this podcast, one of the most important political principles is solidarity, mm. right? Um, but it, maybe I'm going to go even deeper before I get into solidarity. On a fundamental base level, to me, what socialism is, is it is kindness. Socialism, you know, as, as we talk about it here on Fucking Cancelled, is, is the political expression of the spiritual ideal that all people fucking matter mm-hmm. equally, mm-hmm. right? And that... We don't earn, we do not need to earn that. Right. That our inherent, like, worth as a living soul is of fundamental importance and that all people should be treated with that, like, at all times, you know? And so the idea that a person could starve when there's food is, like, profoundly fucking wrong. Yeah, it's obscene. And so, you know, socialism is is a political strategy of being like, how do we get people's needs met? Right. How do we honor that in all living things, all living beings? How do we honor their aliveness and the fact that for them to suffer, you know, when there is some, when there are resources and we're just not distributing them is fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that level. And that is, I think, the fundamental level. And then above that, what I was going to say about solidarity is just that, you know, how do we get there when we have this um, tiny amount of people hoarding all the wealth in the world Mm. and creating atrocities in the environment for the future and for living souls across the world who are suffering when they don't need to be suffering? Well, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how, you know, um... I don't claim to be an expert on Marx, but I will say that, you know, the workers run the world, right? The mm. fact that that workers are actually the ones who create the profits for the people on the top, mm. that's a very basic sentiment for Marx mm. that I think anyone could understand. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of power that we have. Mm-hmm. The fact that we, in fact, are the ones who are creating all of the goods and services in the world. Yeah. The regular working people yeah. who are also experiencing all of the hardship that comes from a capitalist system. Mm-hmm. And so if this is the case, how do we leverage that power? Right. And we leverage it by organizing. Right. And we see this in the concept of strikes, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the idea of, you know, mass strikes or, um, like, cross-industry strikes, things like this are potentially one of our greatest possibilities for, like, actually demanding change. Absolutely. Right? And so how do we do that? Like, how could we coordinate so many workers? Mm -hmm. This is where solidarity comes in and the concept of building mass power. Mm -hmm. In order for us to coordinate that many workers, and not just coordinate them, 
but to build enough trust that they're willing to take a major risk, right? right? Because to go on strike is a, risk. Is a major risk because yeah. you might lose your job. You're also not getting an income for this period of time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a scary thing to do. And most people, even though their current situation fucking sucks, they're not really willing to take that risk. And why? Because they know that their situation could get worse. Yes. But why do they not feel like it's... Um, worth it to take that risk and to take that leap it's because the relationships are not strong enough Mm, there's not enough mass solidarity there's not enough of a organized robust left or whatever you want to call that a a movement for workers labor movement regular fucking people yeah um who fucking know that they have each other's backs right and that they're going to do it together you know and that they're going to fucking be there for each other if it does get worse Mm mm-hmm with the end goal of things getting better for everyone. Yeah. And so I think to actually get people to a place where they're willing to take that level of risk, what we have to build is solidarity and we have to build relationship and community on a level of people really being able to trust each other and feel like they have each other's backs, like they are in it together. And we cannot get there without kindness. Like, and we have to be able to get there at a level that like, you know, obviously the left right now is a fucking joke, but it's like, even beyond maybe anything we've ever seen before, given Mm -hmm. that the things we're facing are beyond anything we've ever seen before, right? And so we need to reach a level where we are able to extend kindness and solidarity across difference and work together with people in common struggle who are facing the same kind of bullshit that we are facing, even across massive, massive difference, disagreement, um, different values, different cultures, not liking each other, you know, and yeah. and this comes down to the very um, annoyingly cliche statement of like, you don't have to lo- like each other, but you do have to love each other. Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. I think also this is where like anarchism is is a very interesting um, angle with which to look at things, you know, because like fundamentally, like whether or not you um, believe in the premise of anarchism, like it's it's an interesting and like I think like logically consistent uh, ethical position that like since all people really are equal and of equal worth um and have like an equal sort of like right to freedom um that it is wrong for there to be like any sort of like institution that can control them um and force them to do things right um and so that's why anarchists are basically opposed to the state um and you know then again there's like all these other types of socialists who are not opposed to the state because they see it as a necessary thing in order to like um, to provide everyone with their needs like in a, in a efficient manner you and know? in like a complex modern yeah exactly like, like in societies that involve millions of people yeah. it would it, it would be very difficult to think of institutions that could do this that don't look like a state um, but I think that like something that we really can take away from anarchism. Um, is this, like, really profound attachment to the idea that, like, all people are worthy. I think that that's, like, a really important part of anarchism, or at least it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of, like, people calling themselves anarchists who are, like... Not doing that. Not doing that, like, even <laughs> remotely, but, like, that's another that's another question. Um, but I think that, like, as we move into the 21st century and we sort of, like, you know, necessarily distance ourselves a bit from, like, Leninism and and the sort of, like, versions of socialism that that were formulated a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's worth looking at the, um, the ways in which like types of socialism that have been tried 
fell flat in certain areas, you know, a very major one being like human rights, you mm-hmm. know, and there's definitely some like tankies out there who would get mad about that statement. But I think that it's like very much the case that like, even though there are, um, there are like intelligible ways to justify what happened in the Soviet Union and in China, um, that, you know, people were struggling with, like, immense problems and, like, there was, like, there was, like, reasons why things went down the way they did and there was reasons why the people in charge of those countries, like, felt like it was necessary to be, like, very heavy-handed in certain areas, right? Um, But that being said, like, I think that most reasonable people can agree that, like, it was not desirable (laughs) ethically to be, you know, putting people in prison camps, to have, like, sort of, like executions of like political enemies and so on and i think that like as we move towards a socialism of the 21st century i think that we can like really ground ourselves in these values which really like in a certain way are like enlightenment values right that are just like we we want the enlightenment to come true like the promises of the enlightenment um involve you know yeah the equality of all people um the brotherhood of man this kind of shit you mm-hmm. know and like we want that to come true and like we think that socialism is the like natural sort of like um evolution of enlightenment ideas in a modern society um and i think that part of that comes should come with like a commitment to have something that looks like the rule of law you know to not have um sort of unaccountable uh leadership that can just sort of, like, execute political enemies and and this kind of thing to remove them because they're inconvenient, you know? Because, like, even political enemies, even people who strongly disagree with socialism, even people who used to be capitalists, even people who were even, like, Elon Musk, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I joke about shooting him into the sun, but I think that he should instead be given a small house and (laughs) a, you know, like, cheap model Tesla um, and a job. Yeah. Like doing something useful. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Not not actually flowing into the sun. Yeah. Um and like, yeah, I think that um I don't know, I think it's important for the image of socialism in general, which is like has been extremely tarnished by yeah. both by propaganda and by the like real excesses that existed primarily in the Soviet Union. Um I think that it's important for the image of socialism that we are like really clear that like we think that the inherent worth of every individual is like a, a real and important and um fundamental thing that we care about a lot, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and that, like, we don't want, like, a fucking police state. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of things were coming to mind when you were talking. One is just that, like, you know, a lot of what anarchists talk about that I really vibe with is just sort of, like, how how can we, like, live the new world now, you know? Right. Um, which sometimes can get into idealistic places because it's, like, just gardening with your friends is not helping many other people who are not gardening with your friends. Yeah. Um, but I think kindness, not to be too cheesy, but I think kindness is a way that we can begin to live the new world now. Yeah. Because I think the bridge from here to there, we cannot get there without mass solidarity. Mm-hmm. And we cannot have mass solidarity without kindness. And if we want to build a new socialism, one in which you know, the idea of putting someone in a prison camp is, like, fucking reprehensible and wrong and would not be tolerated. Like, I think that that has to be coming from this place of, like, really consistently ex- extending kindness to the people in our lives and, and the people around us um, and to people who are different from ourselves and to people that we don't like and to people who we might see as our enemies. And the other thing I wanted to say is that in a certain way, 
I think that practicing kindness in the way that we are talking about it in this episode is also a fundamental refusal of the process of scapegoating. Yeah. And because scapegoating, and I think scapegoating is a big problem that human beings have. Yeah. We do it all the time. Yeah, we love to do it. We do it all throughout history. All different types of like political movements do it on the left and on the right. Um, we're constantly doing it, right? So what is scapegoating? Scapegoating is when we turn a person or a group of people into a symbol and reduce their complex humanity and turn them into a symbol for basically what is wrong. Mm. Um, we turn them into the enemy. Right. And by purging them, you know, by punishing them, by purging them, by exiling them, sometimes by killing them, we then feel we can right the wrongs of the world. Yeah, we can like right? symbolically like triumph over evil. Yeah, and we do this all the time. And so, you know, kindness in the way that we're talking about it here, this refusal to dehumanize, it makes it impossible to scapegoat. Because that person can never be a symbol for something else. That person will always be a fucking person, mm-hmm. you know? And when we have to face that, when we actually have to face that in each decision that we make, we cannot pretend that, like, whether it's, like, executing someone, imprisoning someone, or simply, like, fucking socially isolating them and taking away everything that's important in their life, that that somehow, like, symbolically solves our problems. Yeah. What's that? I think it's Michael Brooks who said... Um, be kind to people and ruthless to systems. Yeah. That's him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is like an excellent way to look at this stuff, you know? And like, even, you know, I think that there are like individuals who are like primarily responsible for the fucking mess we're in, you know? But even them, like at the end of the day, like they are the scum that floated to the top of a system. (laughs) For sure. You know what I mean? And the system existed before them. Yeah. You know, and it might exist after them. And, like, just even if we took all those people and just, like, shot them against the wall, like, it it wouldn't actually sort of, like, overnight change the system. Like, the system is what needs to be modified, you know? And the the only way to do that is by seizing, in some way or another, political power for the left. Yeah. And and not to be too woo about it but as we can see i am extremely woo um you know even people who we would see as our enemies people you know because we're always like you know regular working people are not your fucking enemies your Mm. enemies own like multiple yachts yeah you know what i mean even these people who are fucking billionaires and who are very clearly committing atrocious crimes against humanity in the future um they're still fucking people and they're very fucking sick. They're extremely ill. They are not okay. Yeah. Like, they're really fucking not okay. There's something very fucking wrong going on like there. profoundly alienated. And so it's like, you know, I think it's important to keep that in mind. You yeah. know? And that doesn't mean that we simply say, please go to therapy and give up your yachts and stop destroying the planet. Like, I do think that there is going to... There's going to need to be power to meet power, yeah. right? Like, we can't just... Decide. They have to be forced. Like, they're not going to do it by themselves. Yeah. And what that looks like, you know, is a complicated question, but I do think that the power of workers is a very strong power that is very often overlooked yeah. in the current mode of the left. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, we are going to need to organize and have power, but I think that we can do so... Well, also remembering that these people are not symbols. Even billionaires are not symbols. And they're people, and they're people who are, you know, massively profiting on the suffering of all others and destroying the future of human life on the planet. However, they're just literally people. And obviously are so fucking dissociated from reality. Yeah. And have cut off their empathy so thoroughly that they cannot see what they're doing. Yeah. 
So And they you know, they rule over a system which has been set up over centuries to do almost nothing but validate yeah. their worldview. Yeah. Like and and to tell them that they have succeeded utterly yeah. at at the game. Yeah. You know, and they're like they're just winning, you know, and that's how they see themselves. And yeah. you know, obviously they're very wrong about that. Um because as you said, they're committing literal like crimes against humanity. But it's not difficult to see why someone in that position would continue to stay in that position. And I mean, like, how sick do you have to be to literally be actively and persistently, you know, fighting for a future in which climate change can go to its worst possible outcomes yeah. when you literally have children and grandchildren? Like, yeah. these people are very fucking sick, yeah. you know? And so I think it's worth it to keep that in mind. Um, yeah. Or even how sick you have to be to have even, like, $10 million, which is, like, not that much anymore. And to, and, and, so, to want, and to want more. And to be so cut off from yeah. regular human beings and what it means to be a person, you know, what it means to be a social animal. You don't have normal social relationships when you have $10 million. No. It's very fucking difficult to have normal social relationships when you have $10 million. You're yeah. super fucking alienated from everyone around you. Yeah. So please. And like, then a billion dollars. I like... would like to extend a hand and say, please. Give up your yachts and return to humanity. <laughs> yeah, seriously, come back. Come back. Stop it. <laughs> um, yeah, so do you have any other final thoughts on um, kindness? Yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing, which we could probably go on about for a while, but technically this is sort of a podcast about cancel culture. Oh, right. Um, and I think it's worth pointing out that cancel culture is extremely unkind. Yes. Um, and, like, often wraps itself up in, like, the language of kindness um, mm-hmm. while being just sort of, like, so ostentatiously cruel yes. that it's, like, laughable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this is part of what I was saying at the beginning of the episode about the sort of, like, fundamental, like, meanness and cruelty that is just baked into modern Western society. Um, and... Yeah, how, like, people feel very justified in being, like, super cruel to other people as long as they can sort of, like, um, picture themselves as being either victims or, like, on the side of victims. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it doesn't help you or anyone else. Yeah. Um, like, the idea that you can... And it's scapegoating most of the time, but the idea that you can, like, take an individual and just, like, do, like, all the mean shit that you can think of to them and that this somehow makes the world, like, a better place is, um, I think, like, ethically and spiritually, like, really bankrupt. Yeah. And, like, to go back to my ayahuasca insights, I think we, you know, the idea that people who have, quote, caused harm are some kind of special bad kind of person is a fundamental dissociation from your own humanity. Yeah. Because all humans do bad things. Mm-hmm. All humans, like, we lose our way. Like, we we do not always act in accordance with, like, our highest selves and our, our principled selves, you know? We do not always live in such a way where we are seeing others, you know? Yeah. We, we often do things due to our fucking dysregulated nervous systems and not feeling safe and being confused and living in a confusing world, you know, and feeling scared. We often do things where we treat others in ways that we should not, you know? And the more fucked up your life has been, the higher the chances are that you are going to do some crazy shit like that. And I think that when we, you know, scapegoat people and try to exile badness out of the world by punishing them, we also, like, dissociate from ourselves and... The fact that we also do things that hurt others, Mm -hmm. 
you know, and that our desire not to do those things does not mean that, like, when and if we ever cross a line, we now have um, cut ourselves off from humanity. And I think a lot of people in the Nexus, especially, like, true believer people, um, get around that by basically saying, like, I am ready to be, like, held accountable. accountable, you know? Like, if I ever do something wrong, because everyone does things that are wrong, like, I'm ready to be accountable, so why aren't you? you right. Know? Um, but I think that, like, I don't know, the message that I would like to send to those people is that, like, you are not bad. Yes. And you don't deserve to be hurt. And once it does happen to you, you know, if and when it does, you will <clears> see that, unfortunately, when you try to be accountable under cancel, cancel culture, it doesn't work. Like... The punishment doesn't stop. That's the way that cancel culture works, right? Mm. So, you know, like, if cancel culture really was the way that these people pretend that it is, in which, you know, someone does something that was really wrong and hurt people, people came to them and said, hey, this was really wrong and it hurt people, and then they were given the opportunity to say, wow, you're right, I want to work on myself. Like, if that's all it was... Then it would be fucking that's, fine. That's that would fine. just be, like, people being normal. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, that's literally, like, what we talk about in the 12 steps of being, like, hey, like, you're actually not acting in alignment with, like, what I know you're capable of. And you're you're actually out here hurting people. And it's not great. So yeah. can we help you to change? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's what cancel culture was, I mean, that's fine. But that's literally not what cancel culture is. It is terrifying and punitive and... Um, you know, it doesn't end. Like, the mark never goes away, even if the person has literally made amends or done everything in their power to try to correct whatever harm that they have caused, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. It's... And, like, that idea of, like... um, That model of, like, you're being called out, now you have to be ac- accountable. To me, it's based on this concept of redemption. Mm. But it's, like, it's a very crazy thing because it's kind of, like, Christian-inflected and based on the concept of redemption, except redemption is forever withheld. Right. So it's, like, this horrifying, (laughs) like, you know, like, never-ending pushing the rock up the hell, like, thing, you know? Because it's, like, redemption is forever withheld. But I even think that the concept of redemption is just, it's not a very, like, helpful or human concept. Like, it, it is so based in the idea of the fucking Garden of Eden and, like, the fall, you know? And that, like, we we try to, like, redeem ourselves from that, you know? And it's like, well, in fact, you know, human beings are animals. And we have the capacity within us to be kind and we have the capacity to be mean, you know? We have the capacity to live in a way where we see others and we have the capacity to shut that off. Mm-hmm. And those are both fundamental traits that exist inside all of us. Yeah. You know? And and to try to live a life in alignment with, like, being kind and, like, treating others well, you know, that's, like, a very positive pursuit that we should all do. But to fall short of that, it's not something that you need to, like, be redeemed from. We don't need to be redeemed. We just need to get back on our path. Yeah. And to see it and to also, like, you know, we're talking about all of this kindness stuff. It's like, what about kindness to your fucking self? Yeah. You know, it's like if you can extend this grace and this compassion to others and you see that no one is fucking perfect and everybody makes mistakes, you know, and you you see that you want to see someone as a whole human being, not just the worst things that they've done. Well, can you please fucking extend that to yourself? Yeah. You know, and understand that um, you're a fucking human. And sometimes I feel this way myself because... Sometimes I think people project onto me because of the fact that I am such a fucking strong believer in treating all others with compassion. 
Mm. That if I ever am having a bad day and don't act 100%, I think people are real shook by that because mm. it's like it's Clementine Morgan. She's supposed to be so fucking kind. And it's like, yes, but I'm also a human. Yeah. I'm also a human. Maybe I was having a bad day. Maybe my fucking nervous system was shot. Maybe I'm all fucking hyped up about something. Yeah. You know? And like, can I not be so fucking hard on myself that maybe I did speak in a way that was like a little bit short with someone. Yeah, for sure. And I'm being hikey triggered by something. For sure. Also, it's like, you know, the concept of redemption, you know, at yeah. least at least in like Christian ideology, um, you get redemption from God. Right. Who is like <laughs> not the, just like- the almighty creator. You don't get redemption from like a bunch of like non-binary people on Instagram. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like completely ridiculous to think that your redemption can come from sort of self-appointed like mob of like random strangers on the internet. Totally. And also in Christianity, um, you know, at least I'm not an expert on Christianity, I'll be honest, but I do know quite a bit about my girl, uh, Mary, mother of God. And uh, <laughs> and one of her uh, one of her like modes is like Our Lady of Mercy. Right. She is forgiving, you know? Mm -hmm. She doesn't turn anyone away. Like, you come to her and you say, man, like, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. And, like, she offers mercy. Right. You know? And I think that there there are probably in, like, lots of different, like, spiritual traditions ways in which, you know, we can go to a spiritual place with the fucking things that we have done and the ways that we have acted out of alignment with our integrity. And we can, like, turn that over in a spiritual way, Mm -hmm. you know? But I think it gives human beings way too much power to act as if an, another human being is, like, in charge of of that. Yeah. You know? And exactly. also it acts as if you... It acts as if your, your belonging to humanity was, like, revoked, and then now it's being restored. Right. And it is never revoked. Right. It should never, ever, ever be revoked, and it ultimately can't be. Like, people might act like it has been, and that's wrong, mm-hmm. but it actually can't be. Yeah. You're belonging to humanity, and, like, your like sacredness and preciousness as a living being is not something that can ever be revoked regardless of anything that you have done. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And publicly like beating yourself up about something like doesn't change that. No. You know, actually it's interesting. I was reading that in Islam it's considered like, Oh yeah, I heard this. Yeah. It's considered like to be like contrary to the teachings to be a very public sort of self-flagellator yeah. and be like, I have, like, sinned in all these ways or yeah. whatever in a public way because it's seen as being very, like, um, self-centered, basically. Yeah, drama-rama. Like, yeah, making it all about <laughs> yourself and sort of, like... Um, and it's, it's like, making a big display of your, yes. like, repentance yes. um, is sort of, like, taking away from the fact that it's, like, it's between you and God, yeah. like, not between you and, like, the people around you, you know, in a certain yeah. way. So I think oh, it's just, like, a little tidbit, but it's interesting to think about that, like... Lots of major world religions have sort of, like, struggled with this, and, and some have dealt with it totally. in some ways, and, and others have in others. But I yeah. really think that the Nexus is so fucking highly Christian-inflected. Yeah, it is. But we don't see that often. But, yeah. like, so much of the ideas that we have about, you know, what we should do when we do something wrong is, like, straight up coming right out of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Christianity is, But it's like, Christianity without a community of Christians to forgive you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just, like, it's so alienated, and it's just these atomized yeah. individuals floating around totally. on the internet, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So like, I don't know if you're part of some like evangelical church and you're sort of like speaking in tongues and being like, I've like sinned in this way and that way, then like everybody else sort of like surrounds you and gives you a hug or whatever the fuck they do in evangelical <laughs> churches, you know what I mean? And they're like, welcome back to the flock. You know, you've been Jesus back in your heart or some shit. Right. You know what I mean? But it's like, that's not what it fucking looks like in cancel culture, no, you know? No, it's the redemption with forever withheld. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, yeah. Well, so, oh, I thought of the one last thing to okay, say. Tell me. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this movie um, called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I love that fucking movie. Such a good movie. I don't want to ruin it for you guys if you haven't seen it. Please watch it. It's really fucking good. Yeah, we should watch it with my mom. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I love that movie. I've yeah. seen it a couple of times already. Um, the first time Jay and I saw it in theaters together, we were both like openly sobbing. Like the entire time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like crying the whole time. Um, but there's a character in the movie named Waymond, and he is probably one of my favorite characters ever. He's amazing. Um, and he has this line, which is, please be kind. <laughs> and, and he says like, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm sure that you're confused. I know I'm confused because it's really confusing what's happening. Yeah. But he's like, it's a, it's important to be kind even when we're confused, especially when we're confused, yes. you know? And I yes. think that this is so fucking important. And it's yeah. like, you know, I know that people are confused. We're really fucking confused right now, man. It's fucking confusing out here. And it's like, you know, when we are feeling unsafe, it is very normal in our nervous systems to go to a place where we are less kind. Mm-hmm. But we also do have the capacity to change that, Yeah, you know, especially if we're more resourced, you know, like people who are like real fucking traumatized have less of a capacity to change that, but they can grow that capacity, mm-hmm. you know, but if you do have some capacity to kind of pause next time you're feeling fucking triggered or feeling, you know, slighted and like, look at the, look at the choices in front of you. And like, since my ayahuasca ceremony is like, one of the ways that I've been seeing this is that, like, when I feel triggered by something or something is upsetting, I can see the neural pathways that my brain usually goes down, and I can see that I don't have to make that choice, right? Mm. Like, it's it's there for me to make. It's a choice I've made over and over again. Yeah. The same stories I tell myself, like, the same patterns that I want to, like, you know, go down because somewhere along my fucked up life, I learned that that's how I keep myself safe. And, like, very often, you know, when people are in a in a triggered state or they're in a bad mood, that, like, being unkind is, like, a neural pathway that we go down that's like, well, I'm not being seen in my humanity, so fuck you guys, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But we don't have to do that. And, like... It always has to start somewhere, right? Like the pattern breaks when the pattern breaks. And if you can be to find it within yourself to actually extend kindness in a situation where you're having a hard time, I think that a lot of things can start to shift. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash fucking canceled. Yeah. Thank you so much for the kindness. <laughs> That so many of you have shown supporting our work. We yeah. really appreciate it. So, yeah, if you want to support us on there, you can do that. We have some extra stuff up there um, for sure. And it's also just a way to support the pod monetarily, um, which we really appreciate. It helps us keep the podcast free. Yeah. And you can also go to um, fuckingcancel.bigcartel.com, um, which is where we sell zines. Um, there's a bunch of zines by me, a bunch of zines by Jay, and some 
zines we did together, and sometimes we have shirts. Yep. They sell out really fast, so. But we're going to do another bash soon. Yeah, probably in January. And we got stickers and stuff like that. So you should check that out. And if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we suck at replying to emails, but we do eventually reply to them. <laughs> Sometimes it's like six months later, but. Yeah. Um, but we do eventually do it. And it's uh, fucking canceled at gmail.com with no U in fucking because Google wouldn't let us. And uh, two L's and canceled because we're Canadian. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. See ya.